Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Dua Lipa at your service. On today's episode, I'm joined by the incredible rapper and performer Megan The Stallion. In fact, you're probably coming to listen to this episode just on the heels of hearing our new song, The Sweetest Pie, which dropped today. I'm so proud of this single and keep listening because you'll hear me and Megan talking about how this all came about. I first heard of Megan the way the world did when her rapid fire and seemingly effortless freestyle started going viral on social media just a few years ago. From there, her ascent to the top of the charts has felt predestined and really deserved. A Grammy-winning collaboration with Beyonce, a jaw-dropping appearance on SNL, a Netflix deal, a spot on a HBO TV judging panel, a best-selling debut album and countless quotable moments, ad-libs and lyrics later, Megan Thee Stallion has become one of the entertainment industry's most in-demand stars. Over the course of our incredible conversation, Megan opened up about misogyny in the music business, what it's been like navigating fame, and how you at home can be a hot girl too. I'm a hot girl, I don't do titles. If I do date, it'll be Michael. Keeps you spicy, tipping tiny. So here is this week's episode of Dua Lipa at your service with very special guest, Megan Thee Stallion. Hi, Megan. Hello. How you doing? My girl. I am happy to be here, happy to be alive. <laughs> I am so happy you're here and you're looking absolutely gorgeous, I have to say. Or whatever. We got in glam because we Very had to really good. put on for you. <laughs> you look stunning. Absolutely stunning. And today is like kind of a big day for us. So we, today is a super big deal. <laughs> yeah. Our single is out in the world and I have been so excited for everyone to hear this song because I feel like I've just been singing it alone at home waiting for the day to come. So I'm so, so excited. Ever since we did the video, like, everybody's just, all my team been walking around going, ooh, it's the Ronnie. <laughs> well, that's all we do all day. <laughs> I was looking through, I, I have this, like, notebook here, and I write all my lyrics in it. It's all, like, scribbled yeah. and whatever. And I saw the day when I wrote Sweetest Pie. Yes. 11th of June. Isn't that crazy? We've been talking about doing this for so long. We've been talking about doing this for so long. So it's, um, it's really exciting that it's out. And yeah, I just hope people like it. I know they're gonna like it. It's just such an earworm. It's such a fun song. So I think it'll be good. I always see some of my fans like, well, before the song came out, I was seeing like, I think Megan Thee Stallion and Dua Lipa got a song, and it's something about candy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be seeing it, I'm like, hi, what y'all, like, how y'all know? Yeah, where are they getting the intel from? I always wonder. Where do you get this information? <laughs> I think 
Um, what would be nice for our fans and the listeners is also to kind of give them a little idea on how this came about. So Megan and I have been going back and forth for so long on Sweet as Pie. First of all, we were just sending tracks to each other, something that we felt represented both of us. And I remember I was in LA working on my third album and I get an email being like, Megan really likes this track, what do you think? And I listened to it and I immediately heard it and I was like, oh, I am ready to write to this yes, one. Yes, I was so happy. I was like, this sounds like me and Dua. Like, I really hope she likes it. And I would ask my uh, the guy at my label all the time, like, what'd she say? What'd she say? You think she like it? Uh, <laughs> but I had wrote so many verses to this song. But finally, like, when I heard your voice on it, I was like, no, I need to rewrite all of this. This is not good enough. <laughs> uh, this, I had to go I, back in. I think in. it just, like, it all aligned perfectly. I remember when I was thinking about, like, the title, Sweetest Pie, I was like, this just makes perfect sense. I was like, this is what it has yes. to be. This it was is, too good. Yeah, this felt right. And I'm really excited. We've got some tour dates coming up together, <laughs> which I'm Super looking forward to. About that. So that's going to be really fun, and we'll get to finally perform this song together. Right? Oh, my Obviously God. Obviously, we did it, like, doing the video, but right. this would be good. But, oh, my God, when I see the video, this I feel like this is a way that... My fans and your fans have never seen either one of us before. No. Uh, so, so I'm I like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, excited. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Okay. So I want to start, first of all, by saying that you've just had such a roller coaster couple years and there's so much to talk mm -hmm. about. But first of all, well, I want to go back to the beginning and know about how you started. But first, I want to congratulate you because you have recently graduated from Texas Southern University. Yes. Um, with a Bachelor of Science degree in Health Administration. And mm -hmm. I am dying <laughs> to know how you manage that while becoming a full-fledged superstar at the same time. That was like the craziest experience of life um, because I, I was originally going to school on campus. And then like the more famous I got, I was like, oh my gosh, my schedule is really piling up. Do I just stop going to class or like? <laughs> so I had asked my professor one day cause I thought I was about to go on tour. And she had no idea I was a rapper. I was probably the quietest person in her class, but I still always <laughs> sat at the front. But I just like walked up to her one day and I was like, um, so I'm about to like leave for like an extended amount of time. Uh, and she's like, why? I was like, I'm about, to, <laughs> I'm about to go be on tour. She was like, on tour? I said, yeah, I rap. So can I, like, get my homework in, like, an email or something? <laughs> I didn't know what to say. But she definitely was like, no, not going to work for me. Uh, <laughs> and I was so sad. I really wanted to get, in, like, an incomplete in that class. I didn't get the right grade I was supposed to get. But anyway, off of her, I figured out that I can go to school online. All my deans, all my professors, they worked with me real tough. They knew who I was at this point, and they knew why I needed to do it. So everybody was just so on my team. But I still had to, like, turn the work in on time. And it's like everybody universally knows 11.59 p.m. That is, if you don't have this working here, this is a zero. This is an F. Oh, my God. So I would be, like, at stuff like a Billboard music event. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit, I got to finish my midterm. Like... <laughs> So I'll be a little late. <laughs> I'm just so impressed, honestly. I feel like my parents would have been very happy if you were their child because uh, <laughs> they were always trying to get me to go to uni when I was like, I want to do music and this is what I want to do. And they were like, why can't you also go to school at the same time and figure it out? 
And I think it's really impressive that you actually like persevered. And especially as your schedule got so busy, you just carried on and you really did what what you believed in. And I also read in an, in an interview that you did that you never had a plan B, you had two plan A's. And I thought exactly. that was really, I thought that was really good because you did two things that you, that you really loved, you know, at the same time. Like, paint me a picture of what Megan the Stallion is <laughs> like, is full on study mode. Like, what is your study mode like, especially on the road? I mean, first of all, talking about parents <laughs> and college, I was so stubborn. I feel like when my grandma, she is like a big part of the reason why I even wanted to finish college. Uh, once oh, really? she, I kept it a secret from her that I was rapping. She had no idea. Um, but my mom <laughs> knew I was rapping. But my mom, she was definitely, because my mom used to be a rapper, she definitely was like, okay, yes, we could do this. Get out there and do what you need to do. So I was yeah. like, okay, bet, mama, I'm, I'm at the studio all the time. I'm like driving, <laughs> but I'm driving from Houston to my college, which is like an hour away from Houston. Oh the first college I went to. Um, so yeah, that was like an hour away. So I'll be coming home all the time, asking my grandma to use her car, but I wouldn't tell her what I was using her car for. But once she figured out, <laughs> once she figured out that I was rapping, I was like, well, I'm gonna do music. This is what I really want to do. I don't care, you know, what anybody has to say about it. But because I knew she was gonna have something to say, so I had to just shut her yeah. down before yeah. she could even start talking mess. But she definitely was like, well, you know what, Megan, just drop out of school then. You don't want to go to school anyway. Like, <laughs> you don't want to do this. Because she was so upset she thought I wasn't going to finish. She was like, just fuck it, Megan, just, just be a rapper then. So it definitely put a fuel in me, too, to be like, you know what, I definitely got to show her I could do both. So watch this. And she definitely is very blown away now. <laughs> She's she's very proud, but now but now she be trying to act like she always told me. Oh yeah, <laughs> she always knew you were um, gonna do both. Yeah, now, now all of a sudden you just always knew. Yeah, but um, <laughs> no, she was always supportive though. After she accepted that I can do both, because she thought I was gonna be too distracted. But my grandma used to be a teacher too, so I could see why. How do you plan to use your degree? Okay, so with this degree that was just so tough for me to get, mm. <laughs> um, I really want to open up some assisted living facilities in Houston. So, like, basically, I'll be given, like, uh, end-of-life care, or I'll just be, like, creating an environment for the elderly to just come mm. live. Not that they just need super a lot of assistance, but, like, just, like, you kind of in between. So that's why it's an assisted living facility. Like, you could take care yeah. of yourself, but you need a little assistance, you know? A little uh, bit And I want to create... A little bit of help. And I just wanted to create some job opportunities for brand new college students coming out of uh, school because when you first come out and you want to get a job, nobody wants to give you a job because you have no experience. So I just wanted to create that job you can get to, you know, get your experience. We'll be right back after this short break. I want to go back a little bit and, you know, when I think back to the early days of my career and when I first started going into the studio, I felt like I was so intimidated, especially because I felt like I was going into a room with like so many men and a lot of the producers that I was working with were men and I felt like it just took me a little while until I found my, like my people that I love to work with and I feel like when I look at you, you're so overflowing with confidence that mm -hmm. I just almost feel like when you arrived, you were fully formed. And I'm just wondering, like, did you ever feel those, like, 
nervousness in the studio or any kind of like insecurity when you were just starting out? Like, was there any moment that you felt like, I don't know, maybe you couldn't do it or something? Uh, definitely. When I was first coming up, yes. But I always knew that I was hard. Like, I always knew what I was saying was fire. I always felt like I just had a good voice. But like I said, when I first started rapping, I didn't want to tell anybody I could rap. Like, I feel like when I do something, I have to get it down packed. Like, I have to perfect it before I start, like, telling people about it. So when I went off to college uh, after high school, I was just like, you know what? I'm making a stallion and I rap. So everybody just knew me as the rapper at school. So I started going to the studio by myself. I didn't tell my mama I was going. I didn't tell my grandma I was going. I didn't tell anybody. Mm. So I had just met this guy, and he was like, well, yeah, you can record at this studio. So I would just be going up there by myself, or um, it will just be me and the engineer. And I kind of had to find my voice there. And then I started, I went to another place. And then the, the guy who was recording, he was like, why do you rap like that? And I was like, what am I rapping like? He was like, you just sound like an angry girl talking. And I was like, damn, like, <laughs> that's not what I was trying to give. But all right, let me go ahead and get my shit and get up out of here. Because, like, I just feel like he was trying to shut me down. But I feel like when you see a girl confident and she come in a room and she, she's mm -hmm. owning it, she know what she want, I feel like sometimes people will try to try you. So I've definitely had some experiences where people have tried me, but I just always knew how to handle myself and, like, conduct myself. Like, I ain't had to flip out on him for doing that, like... Because, obviously, he was insecure about however I made him feel. Mm -hmm. Now, I sound Absolutely. like an angry girl talking. Uh -huh, I sound angry. You just don't like what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I took that experience, and I went with it. I went forward with it, and everywhere I went, I definitely was like, you know what? Don't talk to me when I'm recording. <laughs> don't say nothing to me until you, if it's a technical issue, like, just then you holler at me. But in between, like, don't interrupt me. But, you know, you have to set those boundaries because sometimes people, like I said, they would try to try you. But I definitely had to learn when I was being tried to. It helped you, I guess, build your confidence and almost just be exactly. like, well, I'm not going to listen to this person and what they have to say because you had such a clear identity of who you were and I guess exactly. the music that you wanted to make as well, right? Yeah, like I can understand the difference between constructive criticism mm -hmm. and just somebody that is like picking with me. So it definitely took me a minute to find my people too. But when I did, it was over with, and I don't yeah. talk to nobody now. <laughs> <laughs> now you're like, it's done. I know exactly it's what done. I'm doing. Um, you've spoken before about rap being a male-dominated ecosystem, and I feel that way a lot about the music industry in general, from record labels mm -hmm. to artists and the way that the public also perceive women and men in its entirety in the music scope. But I also read your brilliant op-ed that you wrote for uh, yes. the New York Times. New York Times. And mm -hmm. uh, you said that the male-dominated ecosystem could only really handle like one female rapper at a time, whereas now mm -hmm. we're seeing so much like togetherness and women working with each other and there being this like more supportive air around us, which I think mm -hmm. is incredibly important because for so long we've just been pitted against each other and I think there's this beautiful moment coming into music as a whole where female musicians are seen to like lift each other up and I think that's really right. beautiful and important. And do you think that reflects like the different standards men and women are like held to in this industry? I feel like when you think about women doing anything in general, you just think about caddy. Like, it's, it's five girls in a room. What is 
what is the caddy factor of it all? Like, mm. what? I know everybody ain't friends in here. Um, that's just <laughs> what I feel like. <laughs> I feel like, but just anybody that, but that's what we've been taught for so long. Like, mm -hmm. when you look at TV, you see a woman being in a competition with another woman, or you, you know, you just always see another woman is slighting another woman. But that's just because that's what's been beaten into your head, like, for mm -hmm. so long. Mm -hmm. So I feel like boys definitely play a big part in that, in the industry, too. I feel like, you know, you have your people that want to cheer you on and they tell you, okay, you the best, you this, you that. And you should have people that tell you that you the best and, you know, you are great. But to uplift you, you don't have to put down somebody else. Absolutely. And that's just something that you have to learn on your own. And that's something that, you know, I had to grow up and learn. But that's what my parents have always put that in me. You don't worry about what the next person doing. You you want to win, you worry about you winning. Mm -hmm. So I've always had it on my mind. This, this, this is the normal thing to do. Like, I don't care what the next girl's doing. Shout out to the girls that's doing what they're supposed to do. I like to hang around girls yeah. that are in their power and living in their truth and being the baddest bitch they could be. Mm -hmm. I don't like hanging around people in general that are not handling their business. Yeah. So I know how to act when I'm in a room full of successful women. Like, we should all be successful, right? Yeah. Like, Absolutely. So I, I, I feel the same way. And I feel like there is space for everyone. The one thing that mm -hmm. I feel like women and men that I, f I find like a large like disparity is when we perform live, for example. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this a lot with like reviews or whatever for concerts. And you've got us girls, <laughs> we're like getting up. I think we're just used to working double as hard in some ways. I feel like it's instilled yes. in us that we have to work really hard to be taken seriously. But I feel like something that I've really seen is, okay, you've got a female artist, she gets up on stage, she's got her dancers, she's literally dancing her ass off. Her heart away. Like putting on <laughs> this crazy performance on, she's singing at the same time, the stamina, the fucking performance, the whole thing is insane. And then you see a man getting up on stage and he's just not doing very much. There. You know, he's just there, he's standing, he's singing his song and all of a sudden it's all praise to the guy yeah. on the guitar, but then something is instantly like manufactured or something about the girl that's literally pouring her heart out into the performance and rehearsing. That is, for me personally, that just drives me mad. It definitely is a crazy double standard, but I feel like we're girls, right? And sometimes I just have to take it as everybody knows that we are superior, so they expect us <laughs> to arrive as the superior beings that we are. Um, so I feel like we just get critiqued so heavy because everybody just knows that women are the shit. Like, so you just look into us to be the shit all the time. But what you got to do is know, cool it sometimes with what you're saying because y'all let that boy get on stage with no shirt on and a pair of ripped up pants and y'all love that performance. <laughs> but we we could never do that. We can't get on stage in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and they're like, yes, make it stay and do it. Y'all did that that yeah. day. No, hell no. <laughs> yeah, it's That like was the impossible. best performance ever. Yeah. You better have on a corset. Your hair better be right. You yeah. better not see an extension. Your lash better not come off. Your makeup better not run. <laughs> you better so sing true. like you better sing like Beyonce, Whitney Houston, Christina Aguilera all together. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you better be the best. It's you better so be an alien. True. Matter of fact, it is so <laughs> true. And I guess okay. So let's talk about let's talk about double standards then for a second, because you know, and in rap, and in arguably any genre, you know, male rappers are celebrated for being so upfront about their sexual desires, even when it's in mm -hmm. a way that, you know, maybe demeans women or subjugates their desire. But when mm -hmm. you and Cardi released WAP, 
for example. Right. There was a lot of outrage about how explicit the lyrics were, whereas others seemed to see it as like a feminist anthem and a celebration right. of female sexuality, which is where I was sitting. Mm -hmm. And I <laughs> was wondering like, if you could unpick what feminism looks like to you and what it means to you. I just feel like it's about being your best, whether you're a man or a woman. Like, you know what I'm saying? You should just be supportive of the female movement. You should be aware of the struggles that we have to go through. You should be aware as a woman that you are not the only one going through your struggle. And it's about just making all of us not feel alone. It's about making us feel supported. And, you know, we need our praise too. Like what you said about the guys in music and, and rap making these crazy songs. Literally, a boy could start rapping about popping pills and enjoying four women at one time. Mm -hmm. Now, that song, nobody will have a problem with that. Nobody will have anything negative to say about him talking about drugs and mm -hmm. orgies. Yeah. Now, let Megan Thee Stallion say, eat my pussy one time. It's, it's an uproar. Like, <laughs> goddamn, you better not ever say that word again in your life. It's like, crazy. If, I feel like if my vagina, if, I feel like guys, if they feel like the pleasure is not all about them, then this is just absurd. Like, how could you be talking about your vagina and it's not for me? Yeah, like, <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. But I definitely have to let people know, my listeners know, these men know, like, pleasure it does not go one way. So if you get offended by a woman talking about how she likes to be pleased, then I, I think you need to take a step back and, you know, reevaluate what you into. They should be taking note, really. And right. being like, Megan's schooling us at the moment. Like she's telling I'm us teaching exactly. you how to do what you need to do. <laughs> we're going to take another quick break. And while we're away, why don't you take a moment to go to service95.com and subscribe to our Service95 newsletter. A new issue of Service95 will hit your inbox every Thursday. And I don't think you'll want to miss a second of what we've been working on. So subscribe now at service95.com. We'll be right back after this short break. I wanted to get in and talk about one of the many reasons I find you super inspiring. And that is, um, I'm really inspired by your activism. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, and I don't know how they haven't seen it, but I encourage you to look this up. Your SNL performance calling out the dereliction of duty around Breonna Taylor's death was so powerful. Here's a clip of it. We need to protect our black women and love our black women. Because at the end of the day, we need our black women. I found that incredibly powerful. And you followed this with your very eloquent op-ed in the New York Times, calling on the need to protect black women. And mm -hmm. I would love if you wouldn't mind to explain the Protect Black Women movement for somebody who's coming to it for the first time. Um, I feel like black women are so underappreciated and we are so written off as just a group of people who are super strong. We don't need help. You see us go through adversity. You see us go through any trial and tribulation. You see us as somebody who is able to go through these problems and we still come out shining like we always do. But rarely do people check on us. Rarely do people treat us like we're soft. Like, it's like 
being a black woman, they kind of take away the femininity of you still being a woman. And when I went through the things that I went through, and I realized that because people thought I was so strong, like they didn't make a big deal about it. They didn't treat me like I was just a, a fragile being, like how they would do other women. So when that happened to me, I definitely felt like, oh my gosh, like this is something that I haven't talked about. I don't feel like it's being talked about enough. So ever since then, I'm just like, whatever I could do to use my platform to voice how we need to be protected and respected and loved and still treated like the woman that we are. Absolutely. Um, that's just, I, I feel like I have to always take the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Was it a natural evolution for you to put yourself forward as a spokesperson in this way, like, especially because of the platform that you have? When I started saying protect black women, I feel like it became kind of like a controversy. Uh, it, it became like something that people felt like was controversial. And I'm just like, I can't believe y'all would even take it as something that I'm saying that's aggressive. Mm. But because I'm a black woman and I'm demanding something, I'm aggressive. So that's why I felt like, you know what? I just got to keep putting it in their face until it becomes the norm. Me asking for my respect and to be protected shouldn't be something that scares people. No. And, and I think... If it's making people feel uncomfortable, then it's definitely the thing that we need to be speaking up about the most. I think if it's making exactly. people feel like something's not right or like, oh, I don't know how to tackle mm -hmm. this conversation or whatever, this is why we should be having these conversations. Because, um, But also the thing that you said about, you know, you being such a strong person and always having that very strong energy that maybe people didn't reach out to you because... And, and I think that a lot is people really do forget to reach out to their strong friends because everybody thinks that mm -hmm. they're all right, no matter what they're going through. It's just like, you know, in your instance, it's like, oh, well, you know, Meg, she's so tough and strong and she's so powerful right. and successful that maybe they just think that you don't need the support system. And it's it's actually like, no, of course you do. You're also human right. and, and you need that you need that help and support. But I think it's amazing, even through everything that you've, also been through to be able to like speak up and also not just want that for yourself but also for other women and I think that for me is the true definition of feminism. Mm -hmm. I feel like as a just a black woman in general you are taught to be a support system you are taught to take care of everybody you are taught to not show when something is bothering you you just always are supposed to be tough you're always supposed to get through your problems because you have to be a mom right mm -hmm. you got to be a grandmother you have to be the student, you have to be whoever, but you got to put on your face for your family. You know, you, not times out of 10, a black woman is the, the backbone of her family, whether it's your grandma, your auntie, or your mama. Like, but my mom, I didn't even know we weren't doing so good financially when I was little, but that's because my grandmother and my mama always made sure that they put their heads together to make me feel like I was just Princess Megan all the time. But as I got older, I started realizing, oh my God, we are going through shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I just appreciate that they even felt like they had to put on this persona for me to be the woman that I am today. Mm -hmm. So then me becoming Megan Thee Stallion, I'm now taking care of people and people are looking to me to be the backbone of my environment. So it is a lot on me all the time, but I still always have to go be Megan Thee Stallion so I can't be walking around here looking stressed out. So, I, you know, you just will have to understand. <laughs> you just will have to understand, like, but being a black woman is just is so much responsibility and you always are expected to be poised about it. 
I think that's really interesting that you're saying because yes, of course, you know, you've got so much, a lot of people are looking up to you for inspiration. A lot of people are looking up to you for support. A lot of people are asking you to speak up for them as well. And the way that you just put it is like, well, you know, sometimes I just have to be Megan the Stallion. And I thought, is that why you also have like these different personas? You know, you have Tina Snow, who's like your pimpsy female version. Mm. You've got hot girl Meg, <laughs> which is like the party girl. You've got Sugar, who's not afraid to like make mistakes. And then mm. of course there's Megan the Stallion. But when do you right. get a chance to just be Megan Pete? I feel like all of those people, all of my personas make me. It's not like it was just like a music thing that started happening and oh my gosh, I do this type of music, so I'm Tina Snow. Like a lot of experiences that I've went through in life have made me have to be each one of these personas. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a music thing. Like, you know, growing up in the South, I, I, you know, Pimpsey is obvious, UGK is obviously like a big influence to us. This is the type of music I'm listening to, this is the type of environment I'm in. So maybe something happened to me this time in life and I had to turn into. This girl, I had to be... And, and pimping is not just about <laughs> selling sex, right? Pimping is a mentality. Pimping is about how I can come in here and pimp the system. How can I make these people work for me? So that's how that came about. Hot Girl Meg, this is me at school. I was just always on hot girl shit. Like, whatever I was going through at the time, that's what I was calling myself. And <laughs> Megan Thee Stallion, I've just, I've just always been her. I think my name was The Stallion since I was in the ninth grade. <laughs> so I think... I was only 14, but this has just always been me. So being like, I can't say, oh, this is Megan, like, because I'm all of these girls. You've talked a lot about artists that have inspired you, from Biggie to Pimp C, mm -hmm. and they have clearly left a massive legacy with you. Yes. What would you like your legacy to be? I just want people to take away from my music and everything that they see me do, that this girl is strong, she persevered through whatever, this girl is intelligent. Uh, this girl got body <laughs> and face. Uh, and she be serving us all the time. Um, yes. And I just, I want to go down as one of the artists of this generation that was just the best. Because I feel like that's what Biggie was in his time. I feel like that's what Pimsy was in his time. So that's my goal. To make, make my listeners feel like how confident they made me feel. Hmm. I love it. Smart, sexy, and serving all the time. That is a mm -hmm. legacy. All the time. <laughs> I see that. I, I see that for you, for sure. Um, as you know, a big part of Service 95 and this podcast also is ending my chats with some lists from my guests. And so the first one that I wanted to ask you is as we all know, your fans are the hotties yes. and you're the hot girl coach. <laughs> mm -hmm. Can you tell us five things that make a hot girl? Mm, five things that make a hot girl. It has to be, obviously, somebody that is confident, uh, somebody that is outgoing, got to be the life of the party, got to be intelligent, because sometimes in your friend group, you got to be the smart one. Uh, <laughs> you <laughs> you got to know the exit home. routes. <laughs> right. Um, I, I ain't going to lie. I'm, I'm that one in my group. <laughs> I'm just playing, y'all. I'm not, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you definitely cannot be judgmental because, girl, how how we gonna have fun if we got uh, Judge Judy in here? That's true. Um, That's true. <laughs> I, I feel like that was five things. I don't know. The list That's can go five on. Things. But I know. I top know. Top five. It's good. It's good. I want you to be my hot girl coach forever. 
So whenever I'm yes. feeling like a little low or whatever, well, Megan told me that. Oh, girl, let me, come on, I'm going to recharge your belly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I'm feeling energized. I'm feeling energized after this chat. <laughs> my, uh, my next list is, I know how proud you are of your Houston roots. And I would love to have the ultimate Houston list. Obviously, it's one of the stops on my tour. So I need that list. I've got places to see. And for all the listeners that maybe haven't been to Houston or are about to go to Houston, we would love to know what are Megan the Stallion's ultimate places to go and see okay. in Houston. Ultimate places to go. Just because I know you're probably going to want to shop, you got to go to the Galleria. Okay. You got to go to Papado's because just that's just something you got to go to when you go to Houston. Okay. Something I like to eat in my neighborhood, on my side of town, you got to go to this place called Timmy Chan. But you can't call it Timmy Chan. You got to call it Chimmy Chan. Like, okay. Because <laughs> that's just like the slang way to <laughs> that's say it. The sl- that's the slang way to say it. Perfect. <laughs> um, you got to go to Chimmy Chan. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to go to Houston and, and act like a real local. Okay. They're going to be like, oh, this is my girl. She's from here. <laughs> um, hmm. With my accent. What else do you Fit have to right do? in. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They don't know. <laughs> What else do you have to uh, go to Houston? It ain't even like a bunch of stuff that I'll be like, okay, you specifically have to go do this. Like, cause I'm gonna be talking about food for hours. Oh, tell me Uh, more about food. You know, look, (laughs) for me, I'm like, I feel like I really get to experience a place when I go and have like the best food. Like if I have one of the most memorable meals in Houston, cause you gave me that recommendation, I will always crave Houston. Forever. As soon as you get to Houston, both of those places you can't lose. Okay. Um, but also, it, it doesn't matter what club you go to in Houston. Like, you just have to go to the club because the clubs are forever changing. Oh, um, really? You got to go to Area 29. Okay, uh, Area DJ 29. Is, yes, DJ Eric is the DJ and it, it be lit. He makes sure everything is lit <laughs> always. And um, I don't know. Maybe you got to go to my house. <laughs> okay. This is a landmark. Okay. <laughs> All right, do you have, like, kids and stuff stopping over by your house? Oh, my God, no. My grandma, like, is holding down everything in Houston. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much, Megan. You're the absolute best. You are so inspiring, so gorgeous, so stunning, so strong, and it's just absolutely amazing to get to watch your star rise and rise. Really is. It's it's so nice to... Oh, my gosh, before we go, I got to tell the people, because they probably would not know this because on Instagram, you know, you look at your page as Dua Lipa and it's like, oh my God, this girl is fucking gorgeous. She is like, she looks so intimidating. Like, no. I would never walk up to you and say hi. Yes. Really? Uh, so I just, I had to let the people know, I had to let the hotties know, Dua is so nice, way <laughs> nicer than you would ever expect that she is. <laughs> uh, and you, you are just everything. Like, I, I was so taken back. I was like, this, she's so down to earth. Like, you was just cool. Like, and I feel like a lot of artists are not just cool. So definitely oh. appreciate that. And I had to put it out into the world Thank that you, you are just one of the cool ones. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for everything that you're doing. And fuck yeah, we have Sweetest Pies out now. So okay, guys, go listen stream to it. it. Go listen to it. Let us know what you think. We love you. Thank you so much, Megan. Again, again, again. Love you. And I'll see you soon. <laughs> love you. Okay, bye, y'all. Ah. <laughs>
Thank you so much, Megan. And thank you to all of you for listening to this week's episode. Go stream The Sweetest Pie now if you're looking for more from Megan and myself. This week's issue of Service 95 expands on a topic which Megan herself touched on during our conversation, which is misogyny in music. Our second single-story issue is written by Kathy Iandoli, an American author who in 2019 wrote the book God Save the Queens, The Essential History of Women in Hip-Hop, and just last year wrote a biography called Baby Girl, better known as Aaliyah. Her essay is an absolute must-read, so make sure you visit Service 95 to subscribe before Sunday. I loved Megan's response to what makes a hot girl, but you might want to add something else to her list. I want to hear your hot tips. Be as honest as you like. Email your suggestions, voice notes are always great, and your Instagram usernames to podcast at service95.com. In last week's episode, we had so many thoughtful responses to our interview with Edward Edenfall. I'd love to play you some of them. I just listened to your conversation with Edward and it was really encouraging and relatable to hear because my origins are also not in the country I'm living in, but they are in Kosovo. In the podcast, you mentioned what duality means for a person. Adding to this, I have to say that you are my biggest motivator for my entire life and career path because you showed the world that also children of refugee people can climb to the top and make huge achievements no matter where they come from. That's what inspires me to stand up every morning and pursue my dream life and career. I only wanted you to ask, what advice would you give to a person living in a, so to say, second home country and always being confronted to these two worlds, but still wanting to pursue their dream career, no matter all the obstacles? Thank you for everything you are doing. Love you and keep on shining, Dua, because you are making us proud. Can't wait to see you in Zurich. Wow, thank you so much for that lovely message and really thoughtful question. I really, really appreciate your words and it means a lot to me. I think living in duality is always, there's always a trickiness to it because there are moments when you don't know whether you feel like you belong. But I think the most important thing to remember is that both those sides of you make you who you are. And that's exactly what makes you unique and what makes you special. And so by embracing those things, those just kind of add strings to your boat, regardless of whatever you want to do in your career or your path. You know, that adds to your personality and who you are. And I think that's beautiful. And if we can all learn to embrace all the little sides of ourselves, I think we'll learn to appreciate and love ourselves a little bit more. Good luck with everything in your career and the things that you want to do in the future. Just take a lot of pride in who you are and your journey and where you've come from, most importantly. Should we listen to another one? Hi, Dua. My name is Carly, and I'm listening from Toronto, Canada. I'm always inspired by your work ethic and how authentically your soul just shines through your work. And this podcast is no exception, so I'm so excited to keep listening. A question that I wanted to know was, out of the places you've traveled, in your opinion, which place has the most beautiful nature? I also just have to say I'm really excited to see you in concert this summer. And I hope you have a great day. Bye. Hey, Carly. Thank you so much for your lovely message and your question. I guess the more I travel, I do get to experience lots of different places. And initially, when I listened to your question, the first thing that came to mind really was 
the beautiful parks that we have in London. And that's always something, but I guess I'm quite connected to it because that's home for me. And then I carried on thinking and the next place that sprung to mind really was in Switzerland by Lake Geneva. I just thought it was so beautiful. I went there one time for Montreux Jazz Festival. And it's just one of those places like I looked out the window of my hotel and I was so taken back by the beauty and the view of the nature. And I thought that was really just beautiful. And it's something that stayed in my mind for a very long time. And I would love, love, love to go back and experience it again. But of course, there's so much beauty in nature and so many places I visit, but that was one that really sprung to mind. Wow, thank you so much for those. And thank you again for tuning in to this week's episode. I'll see you next week with yet another very special guest, the author Hanya Yanagihara. <laughs>